Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark. And this is Gordon, and we love talking about baseball. Welcome to Almost Cooperstown. This is off-season episode four, the minor leagues. So this year, we're going to see some big changes in the minor leagues. Um, and for most of us that have been following baseball for a long time, um, it won't look that different, but the number of teams will be different. Yeah, and I think it's something that's a little hard because it's going from 160 teams previously down to 120. And I feel like that's the kind of impact that outside of the places those 40 teams were, it won't feel it. You won't You won't even notice. The average baseball fan, unless you literally lived in one of those communities – will have zero impact on their on their baseball fandom. So what the agreement is going to be or has been uh, is now uh, four teams for each major league franchise. So that's 120 teams for the 30 franchises. Mm-hmm. A, a AAA team, we know the leagues, the Pacific Coast League and the International League, they've been around for a long time. Double A, high single A, and low single A. That's basically it. And they'll have rookie ball as well that teams can then plug people into those high or low A things. Right. So uh, there was uh, also 20 rounds in the draft eliminated. So when you had 40 rounds in the draft, now you have 20. And I think, I think honestly, if you're really thinking about it, it's okay. Like considering how much of the minor league baseballs were already, you know, entire teams put together so that the major league organization could be evaluating like one of five guys on right, that right. team. We've said that only there's like, what? there's three guys in the team, and the 22 guys that have to play with them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like really like, like outside of the almost nostalgia for the idea of going around being a baseball player, making a career out of it, despite not making much money. It makes sense, like, from the organizational standpoint, not to have to have these poor guys running around living these tough lives because out of some – Chasing the dream. Chasing the dream. Right. And, and, it's, and at what point are – you know, we just – what point does chasing the dream turn into chasing the dragon? Well, and, and how we got – to now is important, right? Because I don't, you wouldn't have designed the, the, the way that minor league baseball came about. You had uh, major league baseball kind of came about because they were trying to protect their players from being pilfered by other teams. So in 1876, you had the birth of the National League, which was really to set reserve numbers so that you just come and you had to pay to get players off the roster. So like once you had the official major leagues, right, you had the official major league baseball. Did minor leagues like come in right after that or did you, or, or was it like a split thing where you had like the minor league teams and then like a bunch of independent teams? So that around? original uh, National Association, which became the National League, mm-hmm. um, you know, had eight teams and they were thought of as the better players. So there were other teams, right? You had other teams and lots of players. These were all like towny teams teams you know that were playing that were you know became sort of secondary you know to the, major, became, the best it, teams. it almost kind of becomes like what like like the champions league in soccer yeah. over in europe where you like you had like the premier division that's like i think there is a premier division but i don't know soccer well enough or football well right, enough, right, but, like, right. Kind of, but there's like one overall league that's seen as the best league and there's a whole bunch of other leagues where teams can like move up and like good players from the lower league get bought up into that best league all the time and, and it became regional right so you had eastern leagues you had Western leagues, um, which was as much just due to transport as anything else. Like you couldn't get people around quick enough back then so that you could have, you know, a team from New York playing a team from Florida on any kind of normal like schedule. (laughs) But there was no official minor league. Most people consider until 1883 or 1884, because, again, they wanted to set numbers for their teams for reserves. So you 
you couldn't just come and take players. You could decimate a team by coming and just signing all their players. There was no payout to the team for no. that. You know, so the, basically you would just lose your pl- your players and you wouldn't necessarily have a team that was very good or could even survive. Um, and, and before the American League came in, as we know, in 1901, uh, that was a league called the Western League that Ban Johnson, the then president, decided to try to make a major league. It was what we might have considered a minor league at the time. Uh, and he challenged the professional baseball you know, world by calling so this a major league. We actually talked about this when we talked about like the, the, the evolution of, of major league band baseball franchises so when he did that in what was it like 1900 on um, that was yeah 1900 was exactly. the formation of the american league so now you had two competing major leagues essentially right right now you had other leagues around you had the american association was a league that happened before 1900 that was a professional league uh and so they would also have players that would be coveted and signed by other teams um, and then later on, if you remember, we talked about the Federal League that only was around for a couple of years in the, in the <laughs> mid-teens. Yeah. That league, you know, uh, basically came and signed some players and then died because they couldn't sustain you know, it, financially. It is really interesting hearing about that because so much of what you're describing there with the nascent evolution of professional baseball kind of mirrors a lot of the, na- of the evolution of esports in today's market where you have these – you have these games and these these leagues where, you know, you might have one game with 30 different leagues in it, and it's all filtering towards what is essentially the top of that. But there, there's no way of stopping like, well, if one team has a lot of money, they can just show up and be like, we would like to buy your best player, please. Right, right. And so that's why the minor leagues sort of affiliated to try to protect themselves, at least get some compensation when so, their players got Right, taken. which makes sense because if you were a good team and you had a star player, there was only so much you could do if some team came around waving scratch that you could never, ever possibly hope to match so baseball gets real popular in the 20s with babe ruth and everything that's going on after the war um and in the 30s you've got branch ricky who starts the what would be considered the modern farm system the, the idea that you were going to develop players at these lower levels and, and and at that time um you had the classes a b c and d and by the 1950s you had four or late 1940s i should say you had 400 minor league teams that's absurd yeah, 400 so because because think about entertainment. Think about what you could do. Right. You, know, you, you go to the movies. You, you, <laughs> exactly. Baseball was something that – and unlike a lot of other sports like football, baseball could be played all the time. It's all, all – it's, it's, it's the summer game as it's it was It's a summer called. game. So you could you, – it was something for people. The people didn't have the luxury of sitting in their house with endless options to entertain them. And this creates that romanticized notion that we'll talk about for minor league baseball that uh, we also think Bull Durham, which came out in 1988, was almost like the, the epitome of, well, oh, that's so cool, minor league baseball, and you've got your Annie Savoy's in, in town. You've got this whole sort of vibe going right. on. Right. The problem is, even in Bull Durham, there's only one Annie Savoy. <laughs> you can't run a franchise off of that. And only one Nuke Lelouch. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Durham Bulls actually became a more viable team after that movie. Uh, and a lot of minor league ballparks in the early 90s began to be constructed because it kind of became she she to go to the minor league game and have some of the experiences there in these new ballparks that might only seat a few thousand people right and and certainly one of the things i think if you looked at it now if i was one of these minor league franchises that i'm trying to push is that it's a lot of more of an affordable alternative than going to a major league game completely and that's something that 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 is one of the the few things that i think is a really big selling point for them is you could have your day at the ballpark with your friends or your family 20 bucks like a quarter of the price yeah 
Yeah. And get pretty much everything the same. With free parking. With free parking. <laughs> probably don't have to drive as far, depending on where you are. And you're not going to have to spend $15 on a can of Budweiser. You'll probably get three for the kid for 15 bucks there. So you think about the 40 or so teams that are no longer be affiliated with Major League Baseball. And, and, and you think about the way Major League Baseball sort of handles it. They will pay Major Leaguers. They'll pay help with player salaries. Uh, but they're not going to help with upkeep at the ballpark. They're not going to help with your marketing and promotion of your team. Travel, travel, maybe. travel is responsible to a certain degree, in part by the by the uh, pro team, by the major league teams as well as they're just sort of shared. Uh, and so, without that support from the major leagues for those forty teams, it makes their you know ability to stay in business that much more. Well, like, how many independent leagues still exist today? Like, because you hear about like there's like the Arizona Fall League, but that's like an official major league endorsed league, right? Then there's like the Pacific Pacific Coast League, right? Those are all those, and the Pacific Coast League. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up. So that was the highest minor league, or it is the highest minor league still. But back in the day, before there was baseball on the West Coast, you actually had people think that there were some teams in the Pacific Coast League that were as good as major league teams. They simply didn't ever leave California and the coast had just played amongst themselves. You had to think there's a lot of good ball players. The DiMaggio brothers came out from San Francisco and played for the San Francisco Seals, which was a famous uh, AAA team that was thought of as being very, very strong, but never played major league baseball. Right. Cause there was just not a way to get them over from California to play any kind of reasonable number of games. At best it'd be like, what, like an exhibition maybe. Right. Right. Like, oh, Hey, they're going to be here for one series and they'll play the Yankees. So, you know, they, they, you know, had these, you know, leagues that were, you know, basically going on and, and, and independent teams could come in and out of the league. There's a team that's been around, I think, for it might be 100 years as far as I know or close to it, the St. Paul Saints. Um, St. Paul, Minnesota, mm -hmm. they have always been an independent league. They have never, to my knowledge, been affiliated with any professional, uh, you know, franchise. And yet they have survived this long because there's a history of, uh, and they've gotten some really interesting people come through there and play for them over the years. A lot of times, like, Canseco would go and play there on one of his comebacks when he was 47 years like, old. Yeah, you probably got a lot of, like, aged players coming through there. And there was a, a really interesting major leaguer named Jim Eisenreich who had Tourette syndrome who came through there in the 90s. Made it to the major leagues, but basically was so nervous, had to walk off the field a lot of the time in front of crowds. But he would end up playing for a team like that because they would be a rehabilitation place for guys that, you know, were trying to get back to the major leagues or, or couldn't get there. Right. And, the, and then they know that that's worth it for them because they'll have got big name guys that'll draw in casual fans that'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll go watch a game for 20 bucks and see some big name player I've heard of. And it's interesting that the, they're the St. Paul Saints because they're obviously near the Minnesota Twins. Uh, and they have survived and, to my knowledge, thrived. And I don't – they've never had an affiliation. So certainly their status isn't going to change uh, going forward. But that's mm -hmm. a unique situation. Most you, of them are the You could only have like one of those. You're not going to be able to have a league filled with those teams. So, uh, you know, major leagues and the minor leagues have had sort of a uh, uh, tenuous relationship over the years. Um, this was not looked favorably upon by minor league baseball, obviously, because they lost support for um, basically a quarter of their teams. Mm -hmm. um, and and from the high of 438 teams and 59 leagues back in 1949, you know, by 63, there were only 15 leagues. So Major League Baseball had sort of pulled support long before this. This is sort of like the final straw. Uh, which makes sense because when you think about it, 160 teams <laughs> – 
This, yeah. is a, this is a lot. Yeah, well, and 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 a lot to remain viable, right? Because as as we say, from an entertainment perspective, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, there are a lot of other choices now that um, supersede minor league baseball's allure. Um, I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about some of the weird minor league records. And, and, and as we go through some of these records, you have to think when guys do extraordinary things at the minor league level, and you think- It's not a good thing for them. Well, <laughs> remember the, the whole premise of, uh, one of the premises of, of uh, Bull Durham was Crash Davis, Kevin was Costner, the- trying to win the all-time, trying to set the all-time minor league home run record. You don't want to be setting that's, minor that's league records record because that have. means you've played a lot of games in the minor leagues. But when you read some of these stuff, uh, you know, and, and there's, because it's the minor leagues um, and there's minor league, you know, supplies information and baseball reference supplies information, none of it agrees, right? So you have like three different guys that have the most home runs in minor league history depending on which source. And who, and, who, who, who you're considering and what you're considering valid. You know, most people think a guy named Mike Hessman um, – had 433 minor league home runs. How, how do you play in the minor leagues long enough to have 40? You, you got to hit 40 home runs for 10 years the way, the way my mind works. You got, you got the, you got, you got to have, you have to have the dream. He just, he kept it alive for all those years. He had to keep going. And it's just like. He played 2100 career minor league games. That's like Cal Ripken like. <laughs> but that's the difference. Like that's the difference. Like that's the kind of guy. That might end up in the major leagues one day. In this case, it probably didn't work no, out. No, he, he played in 109 major league games. Right, because you have to kind of be that crazy. He has 14 major league home runs. I just you know, think that to hit 433, what didn't you do? So did he have like a steel glove? Or or, or was, he, was he just so bad at, at doing anything else other than hitting home runs that he didn't deserve a major league look? Well, I wonder, you know, ironically, a guy with that kind of power would probably get more of a look today than he would have maybe gotten back in his time. That's a, that's a really good point. So um, and we all know that the all-time major league average is Nap Joie at 426. But in the minor leagues, of course, you got a bunch of guys that have had outstanding seasons you know hitting right well which is like and i think single season records right. for the minor leagues you kind of just have to throw out because you could have a guy playing a season in the minor leagues that does not belong there but a lot of these single season records are from guys you've never heard of and i think that's really interesting so they never that was not their step on the ladder on the way to major well, league and then another thing to consider is you have a team like the, the mets farm team that plays in las vegas right they play like they out, did they had a team in las they vegas. had a team in las vegas and like Everything that came out of that team was right. like, you can't look at these offensive numbers like they're legitimate because they're completely inflated because of where they're playing. Well, and that was harder when you when you had teams like Denver had a had a triple A team for years. I don't know if they don't still, but in any event, trying to account for the the altitude and what happens before they be, the Colorado Rockies came around made it difficult to evaluate minor league players. Exactly. And, and sure. minor league pitchers. Yeah, because it's like, okay, you have some pitcher that's playing out in Las Vegas for the Mets, and he has a season, and he finishes the season with a 3-5 ERA at AAA. Normally, you wouldn't be super jazzed up about a prospect like that, having like a 3-5 to a 4 ERA, but in Vegas, you'd be like, this kid might be a stud. <laughs> so so Bill Deister batted 444 in 108 games in 1926 in the Southwestern League. Now, somebody had to actually keep these statistics, which impresses me just in and of itself, that you had an official score there and you were able to go back and check these records. Um, and and so that you're going to have, like you say, in single season records, you know, something that's not going to, uh, you know, be really that important. It's the career records in the minor leagues. You know, when a pitcher like Bill Hughes had 175 and 153 records. 175 and 153. He pitched 320 decisions in the minor leagues. <laughs> That's just 
That just sounds hard. Like, like, oh man, that's just impressive. You know, and 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 how about the Hall of Famer Lefty Grove? He won ninety six games in four seasons before. He went to the major leagues. <laughs> Guy won 24 games and that, a year. And that's actually something that you're not going to – that's another thing that used to happen in baseball. It's way less prevalent in other sports, but it's becoming less and less prevalent in baseball where you have these young, uber-talented players – that they decide, you know what? Let's just waste four years of this guy's career by making him work the way up the ladder in the minor league system. Like, you're really telling me Lefty Grove two years into that minor league campaign wasn't ready to pitch in the majors? Well, and as we've said many times, a lot of the reasons why folks didn't get to the majors had little to do with baseball. Yes. It could be the way they related or didn't relate to management. could be other aspects of their personal life. Right. But but you look back on that stuff yeah. now, and it's just a waste of time. And the guy went to the Hall of so clearly he got to the majors far too late. Look at and look how many guys. You got a guy like Juan Soto comes in at 19, ready to right. play at a major league level. If you have guys that are ready to contribute, what are you gaining by having to play inferior competition in the minor leagues? So a, a name that some of our us, um, older baseball fans might remember is a guy named Gary Reedus, who ended up playing for the the Reds and the Pirates and even the Mets for a brief time. He batted 288 in a 13-year major league career. He holds the all-time minor league mark. Uh, for batting with a 462 average with a minimum of 200 bats for Billings in the Pioneer League in 1978. Now, what's funny is I actually remember a story because I don't think this has ever happened in the major leagues to my knowledge, but it has happened in the minor leagues because I remember reading this in that book you gave me when I was a little kid, the uh, Strange But True Baseball Stories about the minor leaguer, uh, what was it, Gene... Waco? Uh, Gene, no, he, Gene Rye from Waco. Very Gene good. Rye. Gene Rye. He played for Waco, hit three home runs in one inning. Not three in a game, three in one inning, which is something I don't think will ever happen. And, and, and I, I, you know, I remember that story too. And I, and so I thought looking up Gene Rye saying, okay, there's a guy like this. He hit three home runs in an inning. Did he ever make it to the show? Did he? He did. He did? He did. He managed to get a cup of coffee with the Red Sox in 1931. He played in 17 games and had 41 plate appearance. Did not hit a home run. Doesn't matter. He got to. He, <laughs> he got, got there. To the show. He got to the Little show. Little Gene Rye from Waco, yeah. Texas. Like that's such an important thing. Like he got there. So that kind of stuff is probably not going to happen, and you know, ever again, right? Because if a guy could hit three home runs in an inning, he's probably not in the minor leagues anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you you get the occasional. Who was it? Adam Eckstein. Who was the second base? Adam Kennedy. Adam Kennedy for the for the Angels in the O two playoffs, where he hit those three home runs in the deciding ALCS game, and like he had hit like three home runs in his career to that point, or something. <laughs> so um, we had no college baseball season this year either. So we talked about evaluating players. Um, what differences, if any, do you think will happen? We cut the draft from forty rounds to twenty, uh, and now we've got fewer affiliated minor league teams. What kind of a difference do you think that makes? I think it just means more likely that the draft is just kind of a crapshoot this year and that you're going to have guys, especially because what you can't track are guys that grew or had a burst of improvement between the last time they were seen and then now when they're getting tried out. Like what if you had some, you know, 18-year-old freshman at college, now he's in a sophomore year and he grew two inches and put on 15 pounds and suddenly he looks like a different player. All you have is the physical tapes to go on it. And so you're going to see guys get 
super overvalued because you're you, they're gonna you, you can't really go off of a previous year's production you're gonna see guys fall that they shouldn't because they didn't have enough tape on them to be like yeah he looks unconventional the batting stance or the pitching motion's a little weird but he gets results and baseball and baseball scouts have been so i mean you want to you want to uh, look into their antiquated mentalities go watch moneyball because the way some of those scouts are describing the players with like their stupid girlfriend theory like oh he doesn't have a hot girlfriend he can't finish like that's so dumb that's not how you evaluate a baseball player but that's how a lot of these old school guys that are doing the scouting look at it so when you take away a year's worth of data they're gonna fall right back on their old tired and true tropes yeah i i think um i, I saw something recently bill james was talking about the new met general manager jared porter um and when jared was a young guy um they were talking about whether they keep one of the he was working in the red sox organization at the time both of them and they were evaluating a player and, and they sort of said, okay, this pitcher, we're not going to, you know, the numbers don't add up. And so Jared Porter goes, let me, he pulls Bill, Bill James aside, even though, you know, he was a, a, an underling, and shows him some video of, of this pitcher. The first video, the guy's like, Bill James is like, whoa. And he shows him another one. He goes, whoa, whoa. Um, and he changed his mind, Bill James said, and they drafted Eduardo Rodriguez. <laughs> okay, so sometimes the data analytics you can get trapped by and right. you still have to be able to evaluate what what is the eye test as well as the data. There's some guys that just like you look at them and they shouldn't be able to do whatever it is they're doing, but they're successful. And sometimes you can't measure success just by running the numbers like that. And whether that success is long-term or short-term, you still have to respect the fact that if you have a guy that has been a successful pitcher at every mate, at every level he's played at, but he's got a funky motion or he mm-hmm. doesn't throw quite hard enough, mm-hmm. sometimes he's still Kyle Hendricks. And Gets even, guys out. And even if you don't like the way he's doing it, He's still successful. And, and we talk about Kyle Hendricks because I think neither one of them are, are terribly enamored of Kyle, but I looked at his FIP this year. It's really good. It's really good. Right. That's like, the pro- I, I couldn't believe how good it was and how good a season he had. And I'm thinking he's the kind of pitcher that just, you know, you go up there and you sit down after you batted. He's going, how did that guy get me out? Right. Exactly. Right. So um, now that we have, you know, cut down on the teams, if you had to look ahead and say – Uh, look at five or let's say 10 years ahead will there be fewer teams than 120 yes okay and will it be a lot yes minor league teams a lot i wouldn't be surprised so what 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 was the year you were giving me uh let's say 10 years from now 2030 teams will still have you know two to three major league minor league so you can see minor league baseball having between 50 and 100 teams right i i would say by 2050 you're down to one per, if that. And and what are the reasons that you that you you uh, cost? To that? Mm-hmm. Major league franchises realize, wait a second, we don't need to be spending all of this extra money. We can just put all the players we're interested in on one team, and get the same results. Uh, fan interest, I think. Younger people are not enamored romantically with minor league teams in the same fashion that people from an era before them were is there, is there anything that minor league teams can do about that if you're the um a jacksonville florida i don't even know if they have yeah. a minor league franchise but let's say it's a big enough city the problem is is one of the key things that was really a big draw for minor league baseball you don't get as much anymore one of the big draws was like we could go down and drive to bridgeport or new haven 
and I could interact with a baseball player in a way that you I got could, to go on the field. Yeah, you could never interact with them at a major league stadium, not without shelling out crazy money or mm. even just fans, right? But now, if I'm a little kid, right? Do I want to go talk to the third baseman that's been in the minor leagues for 15 years playing at my local minor league team? Or do I want to talk to Nolan Arenado and see if I can't Nolan Arenado and try to get him to respond to me on Instagram? One's a lot easier. Takes a even, lot. Even if you can go to so who was playing for the uh, New Haven Ravens when you was Todd Hilton on Todd the, Hilton was Todd there. Hilton was on the Ravens, so we we probably saw him. But it wasn't you know major league pros you know major league first baseman Todd Hilton. It was prospect Todd Hilton. Right, we had no idea he was just another guy on the team. We can tell he was good. I think I was most excited when we went because Galarraga right. was doing Andres a rehab stack right. in in New Haven at the time because it was a Rockies farm system. So I was way more excited about that because he was a major league player. But with social media, you think it makes it even harder for the minor leaguers to connect with the local fans is that that it makes it harder for the minor leaguers to connect or less with cool them? yes because <laughs> they're a minor leaguer and i can connect with a major yeah I, I i wish you know because i wish it wasn't like yeah, that yeah yeah there's but, a nostalgic part of me yeah, right and, 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 and it's funny because last night we were watching a documentary on a steely dan who's one of our favorite bands and there was a part where they're talking about the song that they that they wrote and played called deacon blues and how it's about like this faded hipster living in New York, living out his life, knowing that, like, what he's doing really isn't viable anymore. But at the same time, like, that's what's romantic about it. That, well, like, that sounds like minor league baseball. It, unfortunately, <laughs> it kind of is. Like, there, there, there's a romantic element to these guys out there chasing their dreams, even though I'm sure a lot of them deep down know that I've played eight years and I'm still in double A. Yeah. The best I can get is a cup of coffee. Yeah. And even if even if they still have the belief in themselves, which I'm sure every single one of them do, that one day they're going to make it, you kind of know the same way that Hipster knew. The, the record executive – It's over. The record executive was never walking through the door to offer him a deal the same way the major league franchise isn't reaching down to pluck the career 215 hitter off the bench of the double A franchise. And so I, is there something – idealistic about saving them yes is it a financially viable prospect no your people can't the other thing is too expensive you can't have your random j businessman of the 1890s wake up one day on a whim and be like i think i'll make a baseball team for myself today that can't, that can't happen anymore so um i was also thinking uh, the college season hopefully will take place this year and and as we know they've played with metal bats for years and so with taking out 40 teams in minor league baseball what's to stop major league baseball from providing wood bats that's actually a brilliant to, to the college game if if I was the major leagues, what I would do, since you still, because baseball, argue, is one of the few sports where you could really have, like, the development time needed. The NBA has their G League. The NFL really doesn't have it, but that's because you just have to have so many NFL players that I don't think a minor league system would work for them. But you should just turn it so you've got the one minor league team franchise for each franchise, and then college becomes your, your farm system. Or independently, you know, or you you'll probably... We're failing to acknowledge here that you know what the, what the Major League Baseball did is they offer um, affiliations to their minor league teams. Would you like to be part of the New York Yankees this year? Okay, then there's all these other teams that don't get invited. Some of them will still play. They'll still be evaluating their players. They're just going to have a harder road to hoe. This is going to get financially. harder and harder financially. Right, right. So that's that's the difference, and that's why you might even the college players would bats would be well. You might see not a boom. For them. There might, and what's funny is is that despite all we're saying, there might 
might be a boom for minor league baseball over the next year or two. Right, in the be- short term. In the short term, because people are just going to want to go out and be outside doing stuff. And minor league baseball will be great. But the biggest problem for minor league baseball is the same way it was what we were kind of talking about earlier when we were alluding to Bull Durham. Annie Savoy was great for the the Durham Bulls, but the problem is there is only one of her. Right. There's not that. How many people in these tiny towns where there are minor league baseball franchises are gonna go to more than regularly? Two, right. Regularly go right. to more than two games a season. Right. You might go to one or two as a casual fan that lives in the town because it's something to. There's do. always like you know the, the the few older folks that are there wearing a jacket somehow in August with a with a pad there and and, and a hat with all the team regalia and they show up at the ballpark every, every afternoon for single day. The game doesn't start till six, but that's what they do because that's what they do and they like the the aspect. The problem is there's I don't not see I don't see that happening a, going forward, with, especially with, the with if you are that kind of fan right you can follow along the team closely without having to show up now but but in a short in a short there sense, will be I a think you're right there, in the there, short term how sustainable it is and we both agree that that's going to be but more difficult even if you're especially as a dedicated fan now i don't need to go to the ballpark every day to stay up on all the news with the team you know what I mean? Like you kind of had to. Right, you can read a prospect report, you know, and see what the prospect did I don't last need... night. And even watch video if you want. Exactly. It's a big difference. So, uh, yeah, minor league baseball will never be the same. But uh, I'm, I'm one fan that hopes they find a way to, you know, keep it going uh, even without a uh, major league affiliation. Uh, agreed. I, I want them to keep it going just because there is a rom- – in some essence, it is the most true form of baseball. Right. They're out there playing for nothing more than the love of the game. And you kind of want to protect that. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at AlmostCoop.